How are we doing this morning, J Road? Great. Wow. Wow. That's that's good. Hey, at least we're not melting our faces off this this Sunday, like last Sunday. Um, so, uh, if you're new here, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Uh, and so, uh, for a few weeks, we have been going through this series called Boundaries, and we're not going to go through that today. Uh, we're going to take a hiatus from it. Uh, and we're going to be in the book of Judges, all right, the book of Judges, um, in particular Judges uh, chapter 7. Uh, and I'm sure you guys, some of you guys might know that story of Gideon and the 300. Um, but as pastors, all right, uh, as a pastor, um, we normally don't get to share with you uh, the things that we are learning in our own time on a, on a personal level with Jesus. Um, Okay, uh, a lot of the times uh, we're coming up with series of what we might think is, is best of, of where God is leading uh, J-Road. And so we'll, we'll come up with a series or go through a book of the Bible. Uh, but if you don't know, um, you know, just because we're working for God does not mean that that's us spending time with God. Um, if, you, if you catch what I'm saying, right, just because we're doing stuff for God on a weekly basis does not mean uh, that Jim and I or Jackie and Mike are spending, like, that's not our time with God. Um, there is time with God apart from the normal eight-hour day. Um, and it's, it's pretty hard to do uh, because, again, like I said, the things that we get to do at, uh, for the church, the things we get to do for God, we could get caught up in this lie and this trap that um, me, me cleaning the student room, uh, picking up trash, like that's, I'm doing stuff for the Lord and that's my time for him, right? Um, but the reality is there, there is time as a staff that we, we have to get away from the work and we spend time with the Lord, uh, whether that's at home or um, uh, before we get things going here at the office, uh, we just dive into God's Word. And so for me, uh, personally, in my own time, I've been going through the book of Judges. Uh, and so uh, just like a, a photo is, is being processed in a dark room and, and being developed, um, I'm going to allow you guys to enter into uh, the dark room that God has been processing in me, uh, has been teaching in, in, in my life, uh, apart from everything going on in church. Uh, is, that, is that all right? Uh, so we're, we're going to be in a book of Judges, and, and we're going to read a big chunk of it uh, right off the bat. Um, Judges 7, um, chapter 7, 1 through 8. And in verse 1 it says this, uh, Jerry Bell, okay, if you, real quick, all right, uh, if you're wondering what that name is all about, that first section, Jer, Jerub, all right, that means to contend, to fight with. Okay, and so uh, what's happening here is that Jerry Bale, uh, Gideon, Gideon in a, a, a few chapters ago, uh, knocked down this like wooden thing and statues, and he, he did it for God uh, because uh, people were worshiping other gods other than the God of the Bible. And so Gideon, because of what he did, gets this nickname of this dude fought with a made-up God, and he won. All right, Jer Jerry Bale, that is Gideon. And all the tro troops who were with him got up early and camped beside the spring of Harad. Uh, the camp of Midian was north of them, below the hill of Moray, in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them. 
or else Israel might elevate themselves over me. Man, where were we? <laughs> um, two, okay. <laughs> All right, verse two, um, verse two, here we go. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them, or else Israel might elevate themselves over me and say, I saved myself. Now announce to the troops, whoever is fearful and trembling may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 of the troops turned back by 10,000, but 10,000 remained. The Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many troops. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. If I say to you, this one can go with you, he can go. But if I say about anyone, this one cannot go with you, he cannot go. So he brought the troops down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Separate everyone who laps water with his tongue like a dog. Do the same with everyone who kneels to drink. The number of those who lapped with their hands to their mouths were 300 men. And all the rest of the troops knelt down to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with 300 men who lapped and hand the Midians, Midianites over to you. But everyone else is to go home. So Gideon sent all the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 troops uh, who took provisions and their ram's horn. The camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Uh, that's Judges 7, 1 through 8. Um, before we move further, uh, let me just pray for us. Um, all right, let's pray. God, uh, I thank you for this morning. I, I thank you that um, we can enjoy uh, s- simple things like the weather, um, and that we get to sit here and, and, and listen to what you have to say through your word, through judges. Uh, God, more than anything, I pray that we will be um, humble as we listen to you, as you push back on our hearts, as you push back on the things we think might be right, that you will push back on those things this morning. Um, God, I pray that you will speak, that you become big, I become small, you become big, we become small, that your glory will be seen this morning, that your glory will be felt, your presence is here, may that be felt. Um, So God, I I just pray that we will listen and be obedient to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Quick background about Judges. All right, uh, if, if you haven't read this book, uh, there's a reason why it's called Judges because there were literal judges uh, who were uh, appointed to this nation, Israel. So Joshua, okay, if you, know, if you don't know who Joshua is, he was the predecessor of Moses. Moses was the guy who uh, did the exodus, getting uh, Egypt out of slavery. God used him, right? He did all those miracles. They crossed the Red Sea. Uh, and, and Moses led the Israelites out of the wilderness for about for 40 years. Um, and, and God did wonderful work through Moses, okay? But Moses did not get to cross the Jordan into the promised land. This is what Joshua does. In the book of Joshua, we see that he crosses into uh, the Jordan River, okay, if, if you know that story, the Jordan River just moves up, okay, is standing still, standing up, because God wants them to cross this river, all right, and so we're seeing 
Joshua is seeing God's power. Israelites are seeing God's power time and time again. All right? And so uh, what happens is Joshua lead, starts to lead this nation of Israelites, okay, Israel, uh, into the promised land. The promised land is flowing with good things, okay? Uh, it's described as a land flowing with milk and honey, has a ton of produce. Um, and so uh, pretty much God was saying, hey, uh, Joshua, you're going to lead these people to this land that I promised from the very beginning through Abraham that your, my people are going to have. Okay, how, how many of you guys ever watched Yellowstone? Yeah, right? You see how much land that dude got? Right? It's the same thing. God was saying, this is much more land, right? Not only that, you're going to have all this land, but in the process of having all this land that I'm promising you, you got to do what I say. And part of doing what I say, sometimes you got to wipe people out. Okay? you got to wipe wicked people out. And that, this was the process in, in which was going on in the book of Joshua into Judges. Right? And so Joshua dies in the beginning of Judges. And so what happens, right, as soon as Joshua dies, right, the Israelites, rather than conquering the land that God was trying to give them, they live with the people that God wanted them to wipe out. They start worshiping other gods. They start doing things that they shouldn't do. Right? In Judges 2, 11, 13, it says this. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshiped the Baals. Baals could be like a god of light, a god of a, a, a carrot. Uh, God of uh, a pea, all right? Uh, they just made up random gods. It was just an adaptable God, the God of blonde hair, right? That just whatever you want it to be, that's what was happening. They were just making up random gods. Okay, they worshiped the Baals and abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt. They followed other gods from the surrounding uh, peoples and bowed down to, their, bowed down to them. They angered the Lord, for they abandoned him and worshipped Baal and Ashtoreths. And, and so you see that when Joshua died, they just forgot about everything about God. They just started doing the things in their own ways, what they thought was right. right? That's a, the theme of Judges, to do what is right in our own eyes and forget about God. And so they get caught in this cycle. Right? They get caught in this cycle, uh, and we're going to call it the sin cycle. All right? Here's what the sin cycle looks like. All right? The Israelites would rebel against the Lord. After they rebelled, and they realized that um, their way was not, their, was not good, that they were getting led into poverty, they were losing all their food, they had nothing left, they would cry for help to God. The God that they abandoned, the God that they did not worship, they would cry out to him. And you know what God would do? In his mercy and in his grace, what we do not deserve, right, he rescues them. How does he rescue them? He rescues them through a hero, through a judge, okay? In particular, what we just read about, okay, a, the judge, the hero here is Gideon. Okay, so he would rescue them, and the judge would be a, a warrior who would take them to war, who would destroy and wipe out the people God uh, wanted them to wipe out, right? And when that was happening, when this judge was, was living it up, right, when he was being obedient to the Lord, what would happen? Rescue and peace. 
All right, rescue and peace. But as soon as the judge dies, what happens? Like Brian McKnight says, they go back to one. Anyone get that? No, that's all right. Uh, <laughs> right? They go back right to one. <laughs> no, I can't sing it. Um, they will go back to one. After the peace they experienced, the judge would die, and they would forget about the Lord. And they would rebel. And then they would cry out. And then God would rescue them. And then they would experience peace. And then the judge would die. And they would, again, they would rebel all over again. We don't deserve a judge. We don't deserve a deliverer. But because God is merciful, because God hears us, because God listens to you and cares for uh, you and I, he will rescue us if we cry for help. And so in the story of Gideon, right, in the story of the 300, uh, where we're at in this cycle, right, is that they cried for help already. They rebelled, cried for help. Gideon came. God used Gideon to help uh, the Israelites against the Midianites and the Amalekites, right? Those are just, think of them as enemies, right? And we're in the process of, of rescue and peace, rescue and peace. And so part of that process, right, um, God is trying to help Gideon and the Israelites to see, uh, hey, I'm going to tell you something so you don't go back into the rebellious stage, so you don't go back into the rebellious state. So uh, where we're at in the sin cycle, right, in the process of rescue and entering into peace, the sin that God is currently trying to protect Gideon and the Israelites from right now, okay, what he's trying to prevent them from entering into, right, uh, this sin cycle that he, he's trying to save them from rebellion, okay, uh, he's trying, the particular sin here is pride and control. Pride and control, all right. And so what pride is, Okay, what pride is, it's, it's this, looking at your own achievement and saying, I did this. Right? Looking at your own achievement and saying, I did this. That's what pride is. Uh, you can flip the, the slide if you can. Um, second thing is control. Right? What control is, is, is saying, look at the way I did it. It's a good way. Look at how I did it. Look at me. You should follow how I did it because it's the correct way. So the sin that God is currently trying to address in uh, Judges 7 is pride and control. And he's saying pride is, is you think you, you did it. And control is saying, look how I did it. And so our tendency uh, as a people of God, right, is to elevate ourselves over God. Um, our tendencies as humanity is to push God out of the center of the universe, all right? Our, his, and our tendency is to put ourselves at the center of everything. We become God. And so what happens? God sees this. And, and we read this in verses 1 and 2. It says this, all right? Um, if you could put the verse up there. In verses 1 and 2, it says this, Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the troops who were with him got up early and camped beside the spring of Harad. The camp of Midian was north of them, uh, below the hill of Moray um, in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many troops for me to hand 
the Midianites over to them. You have way too many troops, right? God is addressing control. He's saying, you got too many troops. You think you're in control. Second, he says, or else Israelite, the Israel might elevate themselves over me, okay? Israel might elevate themselves over me and say, I saved myself. I saved myself. Uh, can we flip it back to the next verse? Thank you. Um, right? Do you see that? I saved myself. That's that idea of pride. So God is addressing these things. And um, again, our tendency is to elevate ourselves. Like, we love control. Okay? Parents, I, I'm sure you understand. You probably feel this more than anything. You're like, you love control. Right? If your kid is doing it in a certain way, you're proud. But if he's not doing it in a certain way, you're just like, why are you not doing it the correct way? When your kid might actually be doing it the correct way, but in a different way. Right? We love control because control gives us value. It gives us purpose. It gives us worth. Right? And when we have control, right, we get boastful about it. We, we, we think we can add value to people's lives, and, and, and we're just like, hey, keep me around because I could do this. Keep me around because I'm good for you. Keep me around because I, I, I got this. The thing about control and, and thinking you did it all, right, uh, it leads to self-reliance. Um, self-reliance is a good thing. Right? I think as a parent, um, I'm not a parent, but I'm just, I'm assuming, right, this is, I've heard parents say this, so this is my study of parents, <laughs> right? Your goal for your kid is to be self-reliant to the point where they don't, you, got, you don't have to feed them anymore, right? From, from the point they were a baby, right, just imagine you, you still feeding your 20-year-old son, spoon-feeding him, right? That's terrible, but your goal as a parent is for them to start walking on their own, to start driving on their own, to start working and making money on their own, right? That's a great goal. But if that is the end goal to parenting and for your child, that is a bad goal because self-reliance in itself leads back to who? Yourself. I'm not saying being self-reliant is a bad goal. But being self-reliant as an end goal for yourself and for your kids and for anyone who is under you is a very bad goal because self-reliance leads back to control and pride and it leads back to us being at the center of the universe and not God. And the self-reliance, right, if that is the end goal, leads God's, depend leads God's work out of it because we could do it. Because I'm in control. Versus if you're dependent on the God, you can join in in what he's doing and do it his way versus your way. And so what's happening in Judges 1 and 2, right? God is saying, look, I don't want you to do it your way. Because if you do it your way, you're going to think you got control and you're going to become prideful. Um, a few years ago when we moved into this uh, building... Uh, when we first moved in, I think 2019, uh, I had originally I had my first office, which is now Mike's. I willingly gave it to him, right? Um, right? I willingly. <laughs> uh, we no, I don't even know how that happened, but 
Yeah, in, in, in my first office, you know, um, I was super excited, and uh, I wanted to put a hammock up. <laughs> I wanted to put a hammock up, and so I bought these bracket things, right? That's, these are the bracket things, right? <laughs> I bought these brackets, uh, and they came with screws, and I, I put it into the wall, uh, and the hammock was up. I laid on it. I was like, yes, it's not, not going to break. <laughs> I laid on it and everything. I think a few minutes later, Jim walks into the office, and he's like, how'd you, how'd you, put, those, uh, how'd you put that hammock up? I'm like, I put it with the screws that came with the bracket. And, and I think he, he lays on it and stuff. And, like, it's pretty sketchy because, uh, like, one of the things is, like, moving. But in my head, I'm like, it's not, it's secure. This thing is secure, right? And so he's, he's like, sitting on it. And he's like, what kind of screws are those? I was like, I don't know. He looks at them, and they were wood screws in, to a, in a concrete wall, right? And so, but uh, in my head, when I put this hammock up, I'm thinking, I did it. I did it. I did it myself. I didn't have to bother anyone. Um, I didn't have to take anyone's time out, but I was a semi-contractor at that moment. I could drill anything into walls, right? Uh, but then a few years later, Mike walks in, like Mike moves in, and he starts to put his hammock on. Like I'm, I'm telling him, like, it's, it's good, man. I've been on this for years. Right? And I, I don't know who sat on it, but it ripped off the wall. Right? And to this day, you could look at it and, and see my work of this hole uh, that shouldn't have been there. Right? And so when we do things our way, when we do things in ways that we think it's right, right at some point it's going to be okay, but at some point it's going to rip out the wall. If, if our way was the right way all the time, right, that would be good. But because we are a sinful people, because we like to be at the center of the universe, because we like to do things our way, and apart from God, at some point, the wall is going to rip, and the nail is going to come loose. And this is what happens here with the Israelites time and time again, and this is what God is trying to prevent them from doing. He's saying, give over pride, give over your control, your tendency to elevate yourself over me. Get rid of that. Because if you do things your own way, things are going to fall apart. It might take a few years, just like that hammock, but it's going to fall apart. And this is what, what God is trying to lead uh, Judge Gideon and the Israelites. He's trying to help them understand, look, if you go to war with 22,000 people, which is awesome, which is comforting, you're going to become prideful and think you got control. And you are going to lose. And so Gideon, in, in his obedience, right, um, he listens to the Lord. In, in verses 3, um, it says this, Now announce the, to the troops, whoever is fearful and trembling may turn back and leave Gilead. So 22,000 of the troops turned back, but 10,000 remained, right? If you're scared to go to war, if anyone's scared to go to war, Go back home. So, all right, so 22,000 of the troops turned back, but 10,000 remained. The Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many troops. 10,000 is still too much. Right, take them down to the water. I will test them for you there. If I say to you, this one can go with you, he can go. But if I say about anyone, this one cannot go with you, he cannot go. So he brought the troops down to the water and 
the Lord said to Gideon, separate everyone who laps water with his tongue like a dog. Do the same with everyone who kneels to drink. All right. The number of those who laughed with their hands uh, to their mouth was 300 men. And all the rest of the troops knelt down to drink water. All right, were you guys able to track with that? All right, it's simple, simple, simply this, right? God was separating uh, people who would bring water to their mouth uh, versus people who would bring water, uh, just kneel down and drink water. Okay? And the people who brought water to their mouth was 300 people. All right? It was 300 people. And here's what God says. Here's what God says with 300 men. I think so, so much we focus on how, wow, God used 300 men. Like, we, we got 300 people. We could do it. Like, we could conquer 22,000 people. No, you can't. 300 versus 22,000 people, the chances are you're, you're going to die, right? But the difference here is that God is calling 300 people. He's calling 300 people, and what, he, what is he doing? In verse 7, it says, I will deliver you with 300 men who lapped and hand Midianites over to you, but everyone else is to go home, right? The difference here is God is saying, I will do it, versus us, the 300 men, saying, with 300 people, we can conquer the whole United States. No, that's not possible. But if we were 300 people and God said, hey, I'm going to do it for you, we could do it. This is the difference. When we're doing it in God's way, it's really good. We get to experience God in ways that we would have never, never experienced him. And so I want to give us a picture real quick. Here, here's a map. This map is pretty important to my point. <laughs> okay. Um, here's a map. All right. Red dot. 300 people. Blue dot, the other people. And God is saying, with 300 men, I'm going to kill all those people. I'm going to do it. Just take 300 people with you. Do you see this image that God is trying to show how small we are and how big he is? And understanding who we are before God and understanding that, hey, we're, we're not all that is a good thing. Because you and I, we serve a God. We can know a God who is massive, who is powerful, who is strong, who can do things beyond our imagination. When we do it God's way, that little red dot right, can overcome anything big. When we do it God's way, anything big in our life that feels massive will feel small. When we follow and are obedient to the Lord, God says, I will deliver you. Just join in. Participate. I love, you know, we're going to read a big chunk um, of this. Uh, of how God does it. All right, starting in verse 9. I might skip a few things because I'm going to emphasize how God does it and not us. In verse 9, he says this. All right, that same night, the Lord said to Gideon, all right, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. 
I have given it into your hand, Gideon. Go down to the camp where there's a ton of people. I want to show you that I handed all those people over to you. But if you are afraid, go down. Go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. You shall hear what they say. You're going to hear what the camp is talking about. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were uh, in the camp. I think I'm in verse 12, right? Uh, verse 12, And the Midianites and Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as a sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon was at the camp, behold, right, there was two people talking. A man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I dream a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. I can't translate what that means for what the heck that means. But in verse 14, it sure says this. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand the hand Midian and all the camp. When Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. He returned to Israelite's camp and said, Get up, for the Lord has handed the Midianite camp over to you. The Lord has won the battle. The Lord has handed the camp over to you. Jumping down to verse 21, each Israelite took his position around the camp, the 300 men, divided into three companies, and the entire Midianite army began to run. And they cried out as they fled. When Gideon's men blew uh, their 300 um, ram's horn, the Lord caused men in the whole army to turn on each other with their swords. I want you to see something. Right? When we do it God's way, when we trust God's way is the best way, right? we get to experience what Gideon experienced. All Gideon had to do was be obedient, blow a ram's horn, light up some torches, and then they defeated an entire army. An entire army. If we lay down our pride, if we give control over, we as a church can experience God like this. Um, I was studying this uh, passage with a student, uh, I think on Tuesday. Brayden, was it Tuesday? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, me too. That's his, that was his first answer to what is this passage saying. I don't know. <laughs> I, um, but his second answer, because we were going through it, and I, I just want to see what he thought and see it through his lens and... Um, uh, he was wrong most of the time. He, no, <laughs> I was kidding, I was kidding. Uh, no, he, he wasn't. Um, you know, we were going through it, and uh, I, I want to share a quote with you of what he said about this passage, about Gideon and the 300 men. He says, they, Gideon, and the 300 didn't win. They kind of did, but God really won. Uh, as I was thinking about that quote, as I was thinking about what Braden said, um, they, the 300, didn't win. They kind of did, uh, but God really won. There's a, an attitude and an approach to that quote. God will use us to win battles because we are his instruments, we are his tools. 
So in a sense, we do kind of win because we are being used by God. But if we forget that end part, right, that the person actually working the tool is the winner, right, we will get this all wrong. Pride and control will consume us. But if we have this attitude of actually, even though I did win, God used me. God delivered me. God did it. God won. We will experience God in ways that we, will, we cannot imagine. God sent temporary deliverers to the judges. But he sent an eternal one through Jesus Christ. We won because of Jesus. Sin, even though it feels like it can overcome us, even though it feels so powerful, I want you guys to look back at the cross and understand that that's where sin died. In times when you're struggling, in times when porn is strong, in times when drugs are strong, in times when you feel like you cannot choose God and you fail, I want you to look back at the cross and understand that you don't have to stay there. That as a people of God, if you surrender control, if you give over your control and and you lay down your pride and you surrender your life to Jesus, you know what happens? You get to experience victory in ways that you you could not have imagined. Who would have thought that our Savior was going to be a humble servant washing our feet? Who would have thought that our Savior was going to be a humble servant with crown of thorns in his head? Because he conquered death, you know what we get to look forward to when we look back to the cross and we see our old ways dead? We get to look ahead and see all the heavenly blessings that we will receive one day. And we can receive those things today and experience those things. If You surrender yourself to the Lord. Surrendering yourself to the Lord is the greatest thing that can happen to us. Let's pray. Ephesians 1, 17, 13 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I'm not talking about finances. We're not talking about that stuff. We're talking about this glorious inheritance that we cannot even imagine. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, of God's power, towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty work of his strength. God, thank you. Thank you for being so good and wanting us to experience the sweetness of that goodness. My God, I pray that Jericho Road Church becomes a a place where we see surrender 
daily. That we see our pride being laid down and we surrender to you. And as we surrender to you, broken marriages are, are, are not broken anymore. As we surrender to you, um, addiction to whatever sin that might be, uh, feel so powerful, when we surrender to you that those addictions feel like nothing. That when we surrender to you, God, we start to experience you in ways that we would have never imagined, that we don't control the narrative that you do. My God, all over Scripture you say, I will deliver you. God, may we join in that. May we understand, as Braden understood this, this passage, that God, that we won, but not really God won at all. Obedience to the Lord will lead to us seeing his goodness and his greatness and his power. May we be obedient. Not just today, but every single day of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.